let's get to the book of Galatians. We're going to look at Galatians 1, verse 1 through 9 together today. I'll read it uh, out loud. You can follow along in your Bibles or on the screen. Starting in verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present or the present evil age according to the will of God, of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever, amen. I am astonished, verse 6, that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you this morning And we pray that through our study of Galatians, not just today, but in the weeks and months to come, that our appreciation for the gospel would rise and that, Lord, the outflow of that message as it's impacted us would show us how free we are in you to live the life that you've designed for us to live. So we pray, Lord, that you teach us today from this passage in Jesus' name. We pray together. Amen. Okay, well, the the word that I've chosen, I like to kind of pick a theme for each book of the Bible that we're going through because uh, there is a a center point of of each book of God's word generally. And the word that I've chosen for this study is the word fly, the word fly. Not the the noun, like, you know, get the fly swatter. Uh, Not the adjective, you know, 90s rap is the flyest. Though it is but the verb, you know, a a bird is meant to fly. A bird is meant to fly. The reason that I've chosen this theme is because when you go through the book of Galatians, one of the things you'll notice just upon casual reading is that in the first three and a half, four chapters, Paul doesn't really tell the reader what to do. There's not very many times where there's an imperative, an exhortation, a, a command, a commission. There's a couple of them. You know, he'll tell his readers to know something, to consider something. But it's not until the end of the book that beautiful exhortations on how to live began to um, blossom forth. And in those last two chapters, the life that's described is incredible. To me, it describes a life in flight. Galatians 5.13 describes it as a life that is free from all forms of legalism free from any man-made yoke or structure, free enough to lovingly dedicate itself to the service of others. Galatians 5.16 describes it as a life that walks in the Spirit and bears the fruit of the Holy Spirit uh, coming from its life. It it describes in Galatians 6 verse 9 as a life that does not grow weary in doing good to everyone. This is an impactful life. They're impacting other people. Galatians 5, to 23 describes what the Spirit does to this kind of life. It makes them a loving person, a joyful person, a peaceful person, 
a patient person, a kind person, a good, faithful, gentle person, a person of self-control. Uh, it's the kind of life that has, according to Galatians 5, 24 and 25, killed off the passions of the flesh and has replaced them instead with being led by the Spirit of God. So there's, there's a Spirit's leadership in this person's life. It's the kind of life, Galatians 6, verse 1, that restores people who are struggling, all while maintaining a posture of humility, knowing that I'm capable of doing those very same things. And it's a life that bears the burdens of other people really well. It's, it, to me, it's a beautiful life. It's a life that is soaring in God's grace. Okay, but, but Paul wrote to the Galatians, and he wrote the book of Galatians for all of us because they and us are in danger of neglecting the message that leads to that brand of life. In other words, if we adulterate the gospel, if we add to it in any way, we will not be able to enter into that life. We'll not be able to fly. We'll be like a bird trapped in a cage. And at best, what we'll do is hinder ourselves from living God's ideal. But at worst, we'll be believing a false message, trusting a false message for our salvation, and we'll be misleading other people. That's the last thing we wanna do is communicate through our convictions, through our lives, through our beliefs, through our statements that if you want to be saved, you need to believe in Jesus and anything else. Okay, we, we wanna get rid of that because it will lead people astray. It will lead them to uh, say, that's not a good news message, that's a bad news message. This was the danger that the Galatian believers were in. Now, Paul had been to Galatia. Galatia is not a city, by the way, it's a, it's a region. It'd be like saying the church is in California, not the church is in Monterey. Uh, and Paul had gone through the region of Galatia, which is in kind of our modern day Turkey kind of area, if you're a geography person. Uh, in the Bible, he went there in Acts chapter 13 and 14. He went through cities like Derby, Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, if you remember those from your time in the book of Acts. And when Paul went through those cities, they were rocked with the gospel. Churches were started, and when he left, an imprint of Christianity was left behind. But after he left, apparently others arrived, and they began adding to the gospel in various ways that we'll talk about in a moment. They were troubling, it says in verse six. They were troubling these infant churches. So because of that, because of the situation that Paul is writing into, uh, he starts this letter in these first nine verses, I'm sure you notice, it's a very serious tone that he writes with. And that tone is found right away in the way he introduces himself in verse one and two. Look at it there in your Bibles. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man. In other words, nobody made me this but Jesus, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Now, the word apostle is used in the Bible in a couple of different ways. One way that the word apostle is used is to describe people who are sent out, uh, like as missionaries, perhaps they have a special ministry gifting or calling. Uh, our, our high school kids are actually today, uh, is the deadline to sign up for our Thailand missions trip where they're gonna partner with 
David Joannes, who has come and spoken and shared with us today. To me, he's that kind of guy. He's a small A apostle kind of guy. I don't think he'd ever call himself that, but just has a vision for a region in the world, and God is using his life in really effective ways to reach the lost and plant churches and really do some amazing things, make a great impact for the kingdom of God. In, in the Bible, people like Barnabas are spoken of in this way. Barnabas was Paul's ministry companion and friend, and he had this title at times in Scripture. But the second way the word apostle is used in the Bible, you might say it like this, like big A apostles. Uh, Those were the original disciples that Jesus called as his disciples first and then would turn into his apostles. There were certain requirements to be an apostle. You had to have seen Jesus during his earthly life and stuff like that, be a witness to his death, burial, and resurrection. So that helps us understand that the big A apostles, they're not around anymore. They're a special group that laid down the doctrine that the church is grounded and founded upon. We are standing today on the foundation that the apostles laid, and Paul announces here, I'm one of those guys. Now, he alludes to the fact that he wasn't one of the original guys, but that Jesus still called him nonetheless, but in Paul's mind, there is no, and we're gonna see this next week, He's not like a second-class big A apostle because he wasn't there walking with Jesus during his ministry in the Galilee or in Judea before he died on the cross. In Paul's mind, he has a special calling as apostle because it was the risen Jesus who called him. That's what he alludes to there in uh, verse one. I wasn't called by man or through man. Really, nobody else after that could say that. I mean, we might be called by God, but other people kind of verify and say like, yeah, you, we see it. We see what God is doing in your life. And if people just walk away and say, I don't wanna have anything to do with you, it's kind of a little bit of a hint as to whether you're actually called or not. But Paul was called by Jesus directly who was risen from the grave, he says. So Paul needed them to know this. He needed them to know, I'm a divinely appointed apostle and I come with a divinely appointed message. That's what he alludes to in verse three through five. Look at it again with me. He says, in his greeting, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever, amen. Look at those words. In verse three, he says that grace and peace from God are possible They are possible, but they're possible because Jesus gave himself for our sins, he says, to deliver us from the present evil age. That that word deliver is an impressive word. It is used at other points in the Bible, like in the book of Acts, it's used a few times. And in the book of Acts, it's used to describe a rescue, Like when Stephen recounts Old Testament history, he said, God rescued the people of Israel from their captivity in Egypt. Or there's another time where Peter was in prison and the church was praying for him and God rescued him from prison. Or there was another time where Paul was being attacked by a mob of people and the Roman soldiers came in and rescued Paul from these attackers. It's a, it's a word that means there's a deliverance, there's a rescue required. And that's the word that Paul uses to describe what Jesus did because Christianity is a rescue mission. 
In other words, Jesus didn't come primarily to exemplify love. Jesus did not come primarily to be a thought-provoking teacher. Jesus did not come primarily to show us a different brand or a different way of life. Jesus came to save. And the reason Jesus came to rescue is because we needed rescue. We were dead and lost in our trespasses and sins. And without him, we'd be eternally, irreparably doomed. That's why Paul said in this quick introduction in verse five that God is the one who gets the glory forever and ever. It means from age to age, all the ages in the future. He's saying God is the one who did this. God is the one who rescued. The gospel is God's idea. And so there is in the gospel no credit given to a human being at all. It is all God's glory. It is all God's honor. We get no glory at all. But the people who came to Galatia, they were adding to the gospel and saying things that would give people credit and glory. And so Paul had to let them know it is dangerous to add to the gospel. So we're gonna spend the remainder of our time looking at verse six, seven, eight, and nine, which we already read, to think about three ways that Paul thought it was dangerous to add to the gospel so that we will be encouraged to accept the gospel as is. And the first reason that I'll hold out to you is from verse six. Paul said that adding to the gospel is dangerous because adding is abandoning Jesus. Look at verse six. He said, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Okay, this is full force from Paul. Some of you have read the New Testament before, so you've read all of Paul's letters. And you probably know that a lot of times when Paul wrote, he would express thankfulness for the church that he was writing to, or he would express prayers for the church that he was writing to. He'd have some word of commendation, some little memory. Maybe he'd talk about a certain person that was in that church that he was really thankful for, something like that. And he would do that really across the board for all the churches. Even, even the Corinthian church, who were, they had so many issues. They had so many problems. They were just buck wild in sin. When Paul started his letter, 1 Corinthians, to them, he still had some nice things to say at the very beginning. But here, to the Galatians, nothing. He just gets right into it because he saw them messing with the crown jewel of Scripture. They're messing with the gospel. They're adding to the gospel. They're tempted to add to the gospel, so he's going to deal with it head on. His tone is full force. In Paul's mind, to say that right standing with God comes by Jesus plus anything is distancing yourself, Paul says, from Jesus. He says you're abandoning him. The, the word abandoning is, or, or is the word for deserting. Uh, it's the word that their people would have used to describe uh, military desertion, you know, going AWOL, turning to the other side, treason, so to speak. Paul is say, saying, you're leaving him. What that means is that adding to the gospel is not only an abandonment of a theological, doctrinal belief or position, it's the abandonment of a person, it's the abandonment of Jesus. And I'm sorry if somebody announced to you, if you're, if you're visiting today, I'm sorry if somebody has been telling you or if you've somehow got the impression 
that Christianity is a set of rules or that Christianity is a, is a certain political party or that Christianity is, you know, you have to do certain religious ceremonies or that Christianity is being baptized in a certain place or something like that. I'm sorry if that's the message that you have received, but Christianity is attached to a person. And that person is alive today, it's Jesus Christ. He came to die, he came to rise, and now he's ascended to the right hand of the Father. And what Paul is saying is to add to his cross, to add to his gospel message, is to abandon him. It's to take the rescue mission of Jesus and to refuse to acknowledge that it's effective by itself. To me, it's like saying to Jesus, thank you for doing your part, Now I will do my part, and together we will earn my right standing before God. But listen, if a person is carted to the ER because they're dying and they are technically dead on the table, and a team of medical professionals revives them and brings them back to life, who gets the credit? (laughs) You think the person on the table is like, I think it must be me. It must be this really embarrassing, way too little medical gown that you put me in. It must be the fact that I'm willing to eat jello and ice chips. Like, that must be why I'm alive. No, it would be the medical professionals that are celebrated because they brought the dead back to life, so to speak. We have no business saying that we are approved by God through Christ's work plus anything. I vote right, I'm a good person, I have biblical concepts down, I'm environmentally conscious, I give to the poor, I serve a lot, I'm not judgmental, I pray. Some of these things might be good things that are an outflow of maybe Jesus' lordship in your life or an outflow of being led by the Spirit and letting him guide your life, but they're not required for the message of the gospel. To add to his gospel is to abandon Jesus. I say this because I think in the human heart, we we like to have the idea that we can save ourselves. We love to think we can save ourselves if our surrender to Jesus is of the higher caliber. You know, I'm really devoted. Therefore, I'm favored by God. We love to think we can save ourselves if we hold the right views. We love to think we can save ourselves through good works. I'm a good person after all. God should accept me. I'm no evil person. I'm good. We love to think that we can save ourselves through religious ceremonies and regulations and trappings, but none of that works. It all detracts from the radical saving power of Jesus. You know, if someone's drowning in a public pool, what does the lifeguard do? The lifeguard jumps in to save them. The lifeguard doesn't walk over and toss them a manual on how to swim. He doesn't pull out his phone and look up the wiki page, swimming, step one. He doesn't start shouting out directions to them. A drowning person doesn't need a teacher. A drowning person needs a savior. And we might like the feelings of self-approval before God, but we cannot earn God's favor. It's given to us in Christ Jesus. I remember being a little boy, and they had, in, uh, I think in my preschool, they had those little charts, you know, with your name, and they had little categories, and you'd get a gold star for certain things, you know. And I, I love getting those gold stars. You know, oh, Nathan, you 
you cleaned up after snack, you get a gold star. You know, I love those feelings. Like, look at all my gold stars. And I think that that feeling never leaves us. We like to think that we can approve ourselves in the sight of God. But though legalism might be our default human tendency, we can't add to the good news of the gospel because it distances us from the very God who wants to save us. I was reading recently, I saw that uh, a quarterback in the NFL named Matt Ryan, you might know him if you're a football fan, I just saw this headline that apparently he'd hit an amazing career milestone. He'd thrown for 60,000 career yards. I don't know a lot about football, but apparently it's an impressive deal. They took the football and they put it in the Hall of Fame. It's a huge achievement for him in his life. It means he's been really good for a really long period of time. But I do know that there's one game, at least one, in his career that he wishes he could have back. It was in 2017. He was the quarterback of the Atlanta Falcons, and his team was in the Super Bowl, and they were crushing it. They were winning 28-3 to at halftime. A lot of people just stopped watching the game because they thought, this game is over. There's no way the Patriots can come back from such a huge deficit, but they did. They came back, they shocked the world, and they became world champions. Well, apparently, every football in the NFL, every actual football has a serial number on it. And so after Matt Ryan threw for his 60,000th yard, they took that football, put it in the Hall of Fame, took pictures and put it up online, and people began noticing that the serial number was the number 283, 28 to three. (laughs) The lead that he had (laughs) in that Super Bowl. (laughs) I read that little thing and I thought, that's how legalism is. You think, I'm doing pretty good. And then a reminder of some of your biggest failures comes rushing back into your mind. (laughs) Even when we're at our absolute best, there's plenty to remind us that we're still sinners in need of a savior. That's why adding to the gospel is so foolish. You're distancing yourself from the one who came to save you. But a second reason that adding to the gospel is dangerous is because adding to the gospel is destructive. Look at verse seven. He says, not that there is another one, there's no other gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Paul Paul is clarifying, he's saying, you know, you've turned to another gospel, but really when I say that, what I want you to know is there really is no other gospel. Uh, Paul knew that the teachers who troubled these Galatians were actually, he says there in verse seven, distorting the gospel of Christ. In other words, they weren't augmenting or adjusting the gospel, they were destroying it by reversing it. Now the good news of righteousness, acceptance in God's sight by faith was being replaced with righteousness, acceptance from God by works. And that never can satisfy the heart of God, can never impact us as we think it can. And all this distortion was troubling these new Galatian believers. That's a word that Paul uses there in verse seven. You are being troubled. Uh, it's, a, it's a word that they would have used to describe seasickness. <laughs> I've gr- I grew up here in this area, so I've had lots of opportunities to go out on the water, and I, I always hate it. I don't like being on the ocean. I always get seasick. I remember for my 16th birthday, my dad thought it would be so much fun for us to go fishing together on a little eight-foot aluminum boat out in the water or just off the coast in Carmel. And uh, it might have been fun for him, but 
and it might have been fun for the fish who got my Cheerios that day, but it was not fun for me. When you begin to feel seasick, you begin saying, there's something wrong. I'm, I'm unsettled. I, I, there's something happening inside me right now. And these false teachers with their false gospel were doing that to the Galatians. Even though legalism is often attractive to us, it unsettles us. It turns a grace-based relationship with God into a troubling pact of works righteousness before God. And once that joy is killed, pretty soon our fruitfulness is crushed and we just can't fly into the life that Paul describes in Galatians 5 and 6. Now, some of you might be asking the question, well, what were these troubling false teachers saying to the Galatians? It's a little tough to figure out with precision because Paul didn't write this letter to them. He wrote this letter to the Galatian believers that he loved. If if he'd written this letter to the false teachers, he probably would have had like a line-by-line rebuttal of the things that they had been saying. But we can make some educated guesses by surmising what he said through looking at some of the passages throughout Galatians. Like for instance, right here in verse six and seven, they apparently distorted the gospel by turning from the grace of Christ. So they were turning to the opposite of grace. They were turning to the law, they were turning to works. Or in uh, the rest of chapter one, we'll discover Paul defending his apostleship, that he's a real apostle. That, That must mean that they were challenging that Paul was a true apostle, saying, no, he doesn't have the qualification of saying the things that he's said to you. Or in chapter four and in chapter five, uh, they seem to have added onto the cross by requiring these Galatian believers, nearly all of whom were not Jewish, to obey certain aspects of the Old Testament ceremonial law, including things like circumcision for the men, or different feasts, festival days for everybody else. So let's look into the Old Testament. They celebrated these feasts on such and such a day each uh, year, so we will celebrate those. Or they kept circumcision as a ceremonial rite. We must also do the same thing. And they seem to have done this, it says in Galatians 6, 12, and 13, to avoid the persecution that would come for the cross. And that makes us believe that these false teachers were in Jewish communities, that they were Jews themselves, and they were a little more widely accepted in their Jewish communities because they were communicating, yeah, we do like Jesus, we are about Jesus, but uh, we don't think that Jesus alone saves, we still think that people need to be circumcised and obey the ceremonial Old Testament laws. Even if they're Gentiles, they need to enter into that brand of life. And all these additions to the gospel, Paul warned, were destroying the gospel. He said in verse seven, there's no other one. To alter it is to destroy it. You know, to add to the gospel, it's like rolling down a window on the International Space Station. <laughs> just saying what, it's just one window. No, you've killed everybody. <laughs> it doesn't work. The windows have to be sealed. Once you've added to the gospel, you've killed it, and it's no longer good news. The second you add to the gospel good deeds, personal convictions, as I said earlier, political parties, religious ceremonies, 
the praise of man, socially accepted views, self-mastery, discipline, old covenant rituals, baptismal rites of any kind, you gotta be baptized here, in this place, in this way, um, denominationalism, systems of theology, you've adulterated and destroyed the gospel. Some of these items are good and will be an outflow, like I said earlier, of the lordship of Christ in your life or the leadership of the spirit in your life, but none of them should be added as a means of justification or, an, or added as a means of gaining God's approval and favor. And I think theologically, a lot of us are on safe ground here. We love the doctrine of justification by faith. But we have to be sure that we never treat the items that I just mentioned or things like that, anything that's an add-on to the gospel as a functional means of gaining God's approval. In other words, if someone doesn't measure up to the various deeds, views, ceremonies, or theology that you hold, do you banish them? Do you ostracize them? Do you think perhaps technically this person is saved and belong to God, but, but I can't have anything to do with them? We have to watch out for that. Now to some, it sounds dangerous to throw ourselves so completely on the work of Christ and to highlight our own work so little. And I get that danger. Paul the apostle dealt with that accusation over and over again in his writings. The radical nature of the gospel he preached led many to say that is dangerous, and he addressed it quite often. But it doesn't make it any less true. In the 16th century, there was the great reformer Martin Luther. I'm sure you've heard his name. Uh, Martin Luther loved the book of Galatians. He actually wrote that the book of Galatians was his wife. That's how much he loved it. <laughs> he just spoke of it. Don't groan. It's not, it's not <laughs> bit bad. It's just he's saying, I love this book. I mean, it meant so much to him theologically. And what he did is he looked at the works righteousness and the religious trappings of Roman Catholicism that were dominating his world. And he saw how an adjusted gospel, it's a destroyed gospel, it's not a real gospel. He said, there's no middle ground between Christian righteousness and works righteousness. There's no other alternative to Christian righteousness but works righteousness. If you do not build your confidence on the work of Christ, you must build your confidence on your own work. To add is to destroy. All right, let me close with one last uh, point though. Adding to the gospel is dangerous because adding to the gospel is a high stakes mistake. Uh, look at verse eight and nine, our last two verses. He says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Okay, Paul holds out two hypothetical situations here. Okay, in the first, him, himself, or someone from his ministry team, they announce to the Galatians a gospel that is different from the one that Paul already delivered when he went back to them, went to them for the very first time. And what Paul said is he said, if that were to ever happen, if I ever came preaching a different gospel or anybody on my ministry team came and was preaching a different gospel, he said, those people, myself included, we should be accursed. It's a strong word, he says it twice. It's a word that means cut off, completely cut off. It's a word that means divine cut off, like God is finished. God is saying, you are completely judged. You're not part of my program, you're not part of my plan. 
Now, this is interesting because Paul is going to, he already has highlighted his apostolic authority, and he's going to highlight it next week in our passage together. But what he's saying here is, no, no matter what, my apostolic authority is underneath the gospel's authority. I can't rewrite it, I can't redesign it, I can't restate it, I can't manipulate it, I can't change it. It is what it is. And my authority is derived from it, it does not derive from my authority, all right? So that's powerful because a lot of people have an attitude about the Bible and about the gospel that they are the judge over it. But even Paul the apostle himself, a man given so much authority by God is saying, no, I'm not over this thing, I am under it. And if I even changed it at all, I should be accursed. In his second hypothetical, uh, an angel from heaven preached the gospel, okay? That, uh, one that contradicted Paul's gospel. And he said, if that were to happen, if an angel came and preached something different, then that angel sh- should be accursed. And you can just imagine how wild this would be, right? I mean, imagine if you know, we were just here at church one Sunday and we had our worship time and then we prayed for the, the tithes and offerings and then uh, the video started rolling on the screen with a few announcements and then uh, at the end the lights came back on and I started coming up and then there was like an angel who was like, excuse me, Nate, can I have a few words? You know, and it comes up. I don't know how we know he's an angel, but maybe he's glowing a little bit. Maybe there's a halo. Maybe there's wings or something. Maybe we're terrified. We're like, oh, shoot, it's an angel. And then he comes up and he says, I mean, it's kind of like, what are you going to tell us? We're ready to receive anything. This is amazing. We're looking around. Like, are you guys seeing the same thing I'm seeing? Am I hallucinating? Is something? No, we're all seeing the same thing. And then the angel says, something that contradicts the gospel as we've read it and understand it and received it in scripture, we're to say to that angel and of that angel, let him be accursed. Let him be cut off. I'm not gonna receive even one word that you have spoken. Even though it's angelic and powerful and beautiful, I'll receive none of it because it is not the message of the gospel that we have already received. This is powerful. Uh, A lot of people will say things like this. It's not me, but I received this in a vision or a dream or from an encounter with an angel. If you know my theology, I I believe that God can speak to us in visions. I believe that God can speak to us in dreams, but they are always subservient to the revealed word of God, including the gospel message that we have received. Now for some, Paul's language is way too strong. You're like, oh, man, couldn't he have softened it up a little bit? This is very harsh, but I want to note a few things. First of all, this cutting off or this accursed thing that Paul is saying should happen to those who preach another gospel, it's an equal opportunity curse. Paul is saying it should happen to the angel, it should happen to people on my ministry team, and it should happen to me if I were to do it. Secondly, this is not a reactional thing that Paul is saying. You know, you or me, if, if we were writing the book of Galatians, we might be writing it on our phone. It might be like a response. It might be like a text message. And like, oh, I'm so angry. And we fire it off real quickly. Paul is speaking to an amanuensis who is pinning what he is logically saying. And he has a moment at the end. If it was all said and done and he's like, oh, that was just the flesh. That was just me being angry with the Galatian people. He could have just bagged the whole thing. He says it twice here. He uses the word accursed twice as if to reiterate This is a thoughtful conclusion that I have come to. 
Okay, so this is not reactional in any way. And finally, he's speaking with such strong language because as I said, there's a lot at stake right here. Since the gospel touches on the destiny of the souls of humanity, it's a message of the greatest importance. So love is what drove Paul to state in strong terms that anyone who messes with the gospel should be cut off. You know, if, a, if you were on a cruise and that cruise liner began to sink and you saw passengers rushing into a damaged lifeboat, but they didn't know it, but you saw that it was damaged, it would be loving for you to tell them that lifeboat is broken, that lifeboat is damaged. And Paul could not stand by and watch false teachers promote a message that was destined to harm people who believed it. He had to point out the faulty lifeboat because the stakes were way too high. You know, when I was in middle school, my friends and I, we, we liked to play this game called quarters. I don't know if you have ever heard of it. I think we learned it from Michael Jordan. But uh, basically, we would carry around a big bag of quarters or a roll of quarters, and any little break in class that we would get, we would find a wall, and uh, two guys would go up against each other one-on-one, -on -one, and you'd throw your quarter against the wall. The other guy would throw his quarter against the wall. And whoever's quarter was closer to the wall got to take the other guy's quarter. Uh, we weren't supposed to be playing it. Uh, they, they, they told us it was gambling or something. <laughs> but uh, so, you know, every once in a while, a teacher would come by, and they'd say, hey, you got to knock it off. You can't be playing that game here. Uh, but it was real low-key. It wasn't like you got in, like, big trouble or anything because, you know, it's just a couple of quarters. But imagine that we were there tossing quarters as a way to compete for our entire future earnings. You know, it's like, all right, this throw, if you win this one, everything I make in the future, it goes to you. Uh, what if somehow that was legally binding, <laughs> You know, that, that same teacher would not correct us with any softness. They'd say, you gotta get out of here. You don't know what you're doing. You're potentially throwing away your life on something so small and so frivolous. Paul is coming in hot in this letter because the stakes are that high. Adding to the gospel should never be done should not add to it the idea that our salvation is contingent on the quality of our surrender to Jesus or that our salvation comes when we hold the right cultural expression of Christianity or that we can save ourselves by being good people who do good things or that we can save ourselves through regulations and religious ceremony. We can't and the stakes are high if we add these things because First of all, we will never live the Galatians 5 and 6 life if we add to the gospel. But second of all, the whole world that we're in will get the wrong impression and not know the true gospel, and therefore Christianity will be repulsive to them, and they will flee from the very message and the very Savior that came for them. So we have to hold tight to the divinely inspired death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus on our behalf to bestow on all who believe in him the favor, the righteousness, the approval of God because we are in the Son, not because of anything that we have done in our lives.